This podcast episode is brought to you by IronSource. IronSource builds technologies that help you guys take your games to the next level. The company develops a leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super cost-efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue by leveraging one of the industry's largest in-app ad networks or to scale your audience by using a UA platform based on user-level revenue data, check out IronSource, who may be the perfect partner for you. IronSource also offers industry-leading creative innovation through their Creative Studio tool, which marries game design and deep data to boost the performance of your ads. And last but not least, IronSource is known for their analytics and reporting, which go beyond the aggregate high-level view to give you access to actionable user-level insight. Here at Deconstructive Fund, we are huge fans of IronSource. It's truly a growth platform that developers of all sizes can leverage. So check out the platform by going to their website at ironsrc.com. That's I-R-O-N-S-R-C.com to check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Hey everybody, welcome to Twig 63, our final podcast for 2019. And on the podcast today, we've been able to convince the whole crew to join. So myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, Eric Kress, and Mishka Katkoff. And in this week's episode, instead of talking about current news, we will instead be talking about our thoughts on 2019 in review. And some of the questions that we'll be addressing today include, for example, number one, what was the biggest game of the year, both by revenue and by downloads? Number two, what was the best game of 2019 in our personal opinions? Number three, who was the biggest winner of 2019? Number four, who lost the most in 2019? And finally, what was the most impactful news or trends of 2019? And before we jump in, do we have any updates from anybody? My mic connection is going to be pretty poor again. I'm I'm in the um, I'm in Spain. The connection here it is what it is. No offense to the Spaniards, and I don't have my mic with me, so bear along. Got it. All right. So no updates. So maybe we could just go ahead and kick it off with the first question. So 2019. What was the biggest game of the year, Eric? All right. Well, for the Western games, and I always change the market or you know look at the market from Western, China, Japan, and then Korea, um, because I think they are all very distinct markets in this space. So for the Western games, which include North America, Europe, Canada, Australia, and Russia, Candy Crush was number one, again, at almost 500 million. Then we had Pokemon Go at, at 300, Clash of Clans, Coin Master, Roblox, Homescapes, Slotomania, PUBG, Fortnite, and then Gardenscapes. And so I guess when you look at that list, you basically say to yourself, well, those are all games that have been around for a while, with the exception of PUBG. And it's probably a very similar list to last year. So not too exciting from a, from a top games perspective. Um, except Coinmaster. Oh, except Coinmaster, right. Coinmaster is amazing. Okay, I agree. China. Arena Valor at 930 million, okay? <laughs> so just put that in perspective. The top game was Candy Crush at 500, almost double for Arena Valor in China. Fantasy Westward Journey at 450, PUBG at 415, Perfect World at 270, and Yin Yang Division, which I don't know what that game is, around 200. 
again, and then Japan, Monster Strike, 600 million in Monster Strike. I think that game did like 18 million in North America when it came out. Fate Grand Order, Puzzle and Dragons, which has been around since what? Since the turn of the century. It's like uh, 338 million. Dragon Ball Z, and then Knives Out, which is basically their uh, uh, Fortnite game in Japan. So those are the big games. And I think... Fundamentally, I think what we look, I look at when I look at these is that there is basically very little overlap between these markets, uh, with the exception of PUBG um, in these lists anyway. There really is no overlap uh, because what works in China does not work in the West and vice versa, uh, and, and particularly in Japan as well. And I didn't do South Korea because it's too small to matter, but lineage, lineage, lineage for uh, South Korea. Uh, that's about all I got on that. Anybody else? Yeah, if we, if we want to take a look at the PC console side, right? I think that's pretty obvious, at least for the West. Oh, uh, I, yeah, I thought we were going to just do mobile this time around. Just yeah. mobile? Like the whole podcast is mobile? Uh, well, <laughs> Let, let's talk console. What but, is this? Oh, <laughs> now, now I'm just, yeah, okay. Uh, well, the number one on, on PC console is pretty obvious. Call of Duty Modern Warfare um, has already earned a billion dollars and has actually peaked, um, has actually beat Black Ops 2 at this point. Uh, which is their peaking units. Um, so the biggest games of the year, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, NBA 2K20, Madden NFL 20, Borderlands 3, this is US only. Uh, and number five is is Mortal Kombat 11, of course, the greatest game of the year. Uh, right, right, Eric? Right? Yeah, right. You work for us now. You have to say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, beating out Fallen Order. So that's my claim to fame. But uh, no, but but that's, but, that's but US. That's NPD. Oh. That's year to date. And they also make up it, for Eric. that in December. You know, that's it, in Eric. November. <laughs> that's why I'm picking these charts so I can have like one claim to fame on this podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, besides that, if you start looking into the free to play space, of course, this is only you know premium. Super Data reports League of Legends, Dungeon Fighter Online, and Crossfire the top three games worldwide um, for all revenue, and then streaming viewership. Uh, number one is League, number two is Fortnite, and number three is CSGO. Question two, what was the best game of 2019, at least by your own personal preference? And by the way, we should actually mention Call of Duty Mobile in terms of the downloads, right? I mean, that was pretty massive. So it definitely deserves a shout out in terms of... Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you, both Call of Duty and M Mario were just insane. Like, right? I mean, even though they're, they are some of the biggest franchises in the world for video games... The, uh, the download numbers are just absolutely record-breaking, right? I mean, right. And there's nothing that's been even close. So, uh, particularly for how long they've been in market. So, yeah, it's amazing. All right. So, personal preferences. Adam. 2019 actually was a really good year for games. I think personal preference-wise, on Switch, it was Katana Zero. On mobile, it was AFK Arena. Um, and on PS4, PC, it's probably... It, I'm split between Control and Remnant from the Ashes. Control, I think, is on everybody's list. It was actually really, really well done game. Uh, Remnant, uh, I really like the kind of Dark Souls-esque design, pot over. But I think like the biggest thing from 2019 from my perspective is kind of a, a grouping of games, which is AFK Arena, Slay the Spire, Teamfight Tactics, and Auto Chess like as a general genre. Um, just because I think 2019 was really like the, the year that drafting as a mechanic really, really rose to, to popularity. Um, in general, like escalating in rogue style economies. Best example of that for mobile would be Archero. And I think this is going to be a likely mechanic that we'll see in a lot of live ops events to come um, as game teams try to add new flavors to their games. 
so yeah, I'd say 2019 was the year of drafting. All right. Um, for me, it's, it's naturally, as I've been saying on this podcast forever, it's the, uh, the Call of Duty, the Download King. That's the personal favorite. Uh, I love what they did with the, with the game because I haven't really played Call of Duty. I think I played it once before in my life, just on a, on a quick occasion in some, some Airbnb where we stayed. I don't know. I, I just got killed immediately and I hated the game. And I don't really play first-person shooters, not since like Halo 1. And most importantly, I didn't believe that, that a first-person shooter on mobile could really work in the West. But since playing this game, I'm, I'm truly a believer. And um, I mean, we have so much fun playing this game together. And I don't know. I, it's, like, it's like the way we get players join our crew is just by just saying that this is the most fun you can have with your pants on and, and they're, they're in the guild. So I love Call of Duty. I'm still Gross. waiting for the hoodies, but it's, it's an amazing game. That's it. That's all you got. Call of Duty Mobile. That, that's I mean, extent. the question was... I feel like that's the only game the that Mishka played. <laughs> I feel like that's no, the only game you played all year. <laughs> so the question was, what is the best? If, if we have to go deeper, yes, of course, I can go to Moon Active. I can start talking about Lilith's game that came out. AFK Arena, Rise no, of no, Kingdom. No, no. No, but like, which game so did forth. you play the most? Like, you played the most. Call, Call of Duty. Duty. Call of Duty. I play everything else, but you know, Call of Duty is what I enjoy, yeah. and everything else is work. That's what's up. All right, all right, all right. So I, I will say, the Call of Duty Modern Warfare single player campaign was a great six hours, <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I'm so not competitive on multiplayer games anymore that I it was not fun for me to play. Although the co-op, my brothers. Is, is really into that, so I might give that a shot. But that was probably the best console game. This is a really, really light year for console. Um, Borderlands, I think, was super disappointing. Uh, the Star Wars game was, was amazing, but it only lasted for three or four hours, and I just got tired of that nonsense. So, but on the, on, the, on the mobile side, you know, the games that I played all year really were Homescapes, which I stopped playing finally after a long time. Um, and then Raid. And I, someone was saying that Raid came out last year, but I, I think it just basically relaunched this year. And Raid... A hard launch this year. Soft oh, hard launch. Got it, got it. So, so Raid is, is an amazing experience in the sense that they just basically create the same experience as uh, Star Wars. Uh, why am I blanking on the name? Anyway, the Star Wars RPG. It's basically... Yeah, okay. Galaxy of Heroes. So um, it's the same type of game, but they just improve the mousetrap. And this is like the kind of thing I've been saying in the podcast for a while is like, these games are progression engines, right? And, and these are the type of games I just absolutely love where you're collecting heroes, leveling them up, and, you know, getting past certain things. And it's just an amazing execution. And it's basically the fantasy version of Marvel Strike Force, which I think is a very similar, like high production value game that doesn't get in the, in the way of gameplay by being high production. And it certainly doesn't get in the way of spending. Um, and I think these are amazing, both amazing executions of the same type of thing. And I absolutely love these type of games. Uh, I was, the other games I was kind of disappointed on was some of the, um, the new MMOs that have come out, like Black Desert and, and others. They just didn't really quite, quite get me. But Raid is, is amazing. And uh, I highly recommend it in terms of anybody that's trying to create an RPG. Like they could basically use this exact engine and World of Warcraft could create um, or, or Blizzard could create a Warcraft mode uh, version of it, and I think it would do extremely, extremely well relative to this Diablo game they're going to come out, which is going to die on the vine. So, uh, yeah, that's me this year. 
All right. From my side, I, I agree with you, Eric. I think that Raid was that one of the games that I like the most from a design perspective, and it's actually done quite well, hitting over $100 million net revenue for this year. And I liked it so much, I actually created a presentation that covers Raid. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. Probably the game that I played the most this year is Clash Royale, and I actually quite liked the the Battle Pass implementation in Clash Royale, but as Mishka rightly corrected me on, it does seem that the Battle Pass implementation has actually had a negative effect. So we should be talking more about the implementation of Battle Pass and Clash of Clans, right Mishka? Well, yeah, I don't know if it had a negative effect, but the game has continued to decline. So year over year revenues, and we're talking about astonishing revenues. Like we're talking about 412 million or more in um, in 2018 to 352 in 2019, but that's still about 15% less than it was a year before. So even though you're a huge fan of Clash Royale and the Battle Pass implementation did increase the revenue, the <laughs> the trend seemed to be on decline. Unlike in Clash of Clans, where the year over year revenues are actually up by almost 30%. Right. So it's actually quite an interesting topic that we should probably dig into more. But if you just look at the top line revenue, I would say the story for 2019 in terms of Battle Pass is the tale of two stories by Supercell. Battle Pass and Clash of Clans, which seems to have an extremely strongly positive impact. And again, if you just look at the revenue data, Clash Royale, where we're seeing the revenue go down. So very good call on that, Mishka. And this is something definitely worth further investigation and for us to actually address separately. And then finally for me, you know, these were very small, tiny games, but on console, since I am an RPG and Pokemon fan, even though Pokemon Sword was not the best Pokemon game, I did quite like that game. And I definitely need to check out Outer Worlds. I know, Adam, you mentioned that game, so I'll try and check that out in the next few weeks. Yeah, highly recommend it. All right, so question number three was who was the biggest winner or who gained the most in 2019 in terms of like studios or publishers? Uh, Mishka? Yeah, I would have to start off with Moon Active. I mean, Coinmaster has been there forever. I don't even know when the game was launched. I think it was a Facebook game originally or something like that. It's, it's really old and it definitely doesn't look that fresh. But nevertheless, during the last year, it went from $5 million a month to $35 million a month. And I just have to say that we actually predicted the, the rise of this in, in our prediction posts, which are coming out again in the beginning of the year. But, but Moon Active, by far the biggest winner of the year. Uh, the other two that I have to mention is naturally Lilith. So they started the year with making that cool 20 million in net revenues in, in the beginning of the year and ended making 45 a month. So they originally had Art of Conquest, but then they since launched Rise of Kingdoms, which actually launched as Rise of Civilizations. And there was some EU dispute over the name and, and legal issues, so they changed it to Rise of Kingdoms. And they also launched AFK Arena. And together, these three games are, well, these two games, actually, Rise of Kingdoms and AFK Arena, are absolutely killing it. And Lilith is doing a tremendous, tremendous job just, just with these, these uh, actually, these three games. And finally, Eric's, favorite uh, company or not favorite company since you play homescapes uh, playrix so it went from 65 million in net revenues in the beginning of the year to 110 in, in net revenues towards the end of the year per month 
they got homescapes, gardenscapes, township, and township. Actually, you guys need to check that out. Huge growth, uh, just insane growth over the, over this year. In addition to those three games, and yes, they they released the uh, the zoo escape or zooscape or something like that with with animals. But that's a, a little bit of controversial theme. Good looking game, but not not the best not the best trend for that. Anyways, in addition to those games, the company has invested into other companies in the uh, in the Eastern Europe, Russia, and, and ex-Soviet countries, and they're making a killing. So they invested in Klondike, which is making about six million in net, net revenue a month. They invested into the company that made Hero Wars, which is actually doing better at this moment than Raid, going from 100, above 100,000 a month to 50 million a month. Uh, I think Raid is, is around 12 or 13 in net revenues. And um, yeah, an honorable mention to Habis and Archero, which Adam talked about. So during this year, we, I mean, we saw some, you know, we saw change at the top and we saw some companies that were close to the top grow even further. So really interesting year. Great. And from my perspective, in terms of the public companies, I think it's really hard not to argue that Zynga benefited the most by essentially having the right strategy, which is focusing on expanding hit titles and focusing more on the live ops and their strengths rather than trying to develop new titles internally. And they took advantage of you know, their long history and strength in, in M&A. And in terms of the private companies, I agree with you, Mishka, that the companies that you mentioned, like Moon Active, Lilith Playrix, doing really well. So looking from an absolute perspective, they certainly gained quite a lot. But for me, I'm going to have to go with the company and the game that you mentioned as your honorable mention, which is Habby and Archero. And essentially for me, because they kind of came out of nowhere and they hit it out of the ballpark on their first game. And so some of the other companies have been at it for a while. And it, probably checking the backstory between the Habby team, they probably have worked together for years when they were at Cheetah, but I think you got to give them credit for first game in terms of their new company, creating kind of a, a new game category and excuse, executing extremely well on their first title. So for me, I'm going to have to say Habby and Archero. Eric? Well, let me think. So I'm going to agree with you on Moon Active and Playrix. You know, interesting about Playrix, uh, they seem to be trying to divest outside of uh, Puzzle, which is super smart. And, you know, one of the failures of King in general. Um, and, and to some degree, Supercell, that, like, I mean, they've changed their genres a little bit, but they certainly have not um, expanded beyond their, you know, their revenue base for uh, Clash, Clash of Clans and Clash Royale, et cetera, over the years. So Playrix is trying to make some moves to help kind of continue to grow their business uh, from top line, bottom line. So that's pretty smart. But Zynga is clearly the big winner for me and uh, Roblox. So Zynga, you know, the stock is up like almost 60% year to date, increasing its market cap from like 2 billion to 6 billion. And from a low of like, you know, like around uh, two to four just a few years ago. So it's a remarkable turnaround, again, driven by cost cutting, product optimization, as well as like some super smart acquisitions from Mr. Chris Petrovic and team over there. So Zynga is the biggest winner for this year, for sure. In my, from my perspective and then roblox so roblox is we've talked about this in the podcast before they're always seem to be behind the scenes but they moved their game to mobile this year and it's been a dramatic hit or not this year but they it really started to scale this year um, on mobile as well as continue to grow so despite all the crap that's going on in this market with fortnite PUBG, you know all these games coming consoles whatever mobile there's still this juggernaut that just keeps growing you know and they are at the cutting edge of a user-generated world, user-generated content world, 
and this quote unquote cloud based computing cloud you know game development, which is all buzzwords and nonsense mostly when when you think about stadia, et cetera, but they're actually doing it and making lots of money at it and I'm really kind of excited to see where they take their business and and continue to expand their demographic et cetera um, because in some ways, I think over the long term, the next five to ten years. Like maybe it's not Roblox, but a company like them will likely be, you know, the big, big uh, juggernauts uh, of the future. So uh, anyway, I'm excited what they're doing and also excited to see what happens with Minecraft um, in the next generation consoles as well uh, for a similar reason. So that's me. Yeah, no, I completely agree on Roblox. Um, it's also focused on the right demographics now um, as they get older. Um, they really kind of captured that market. Um, so I, I would say for me, I completely agree that Zynga is the, the winner of the year. Um, but for mine, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper and kind of avoid um, just the top line metric winners um, like Zynga uh, and Moon Active. Um, so I would say some of the more honorable mentions that we should definitely talk about are, is guys like Respawn, uh, who had both Apex Legends and Fallen Order in the same year. So absolutely huge year for them that they should be very much proud of. And of course, we throw a lot of stones on this podcast. Uh, we were definitely skeptical after their season one launch of Apex Legends, but they managed to recover pretty quickly and change the culture of their studio. Um, something that actually most studios, especially in the console space, takes years to actually execute on. Um, so I think they did an excellent job this year. Um, also, some of the stuff that we've been talking about on this podcast, um, Plarium um, doubled the revenue from $8 million a month to $17 million a month. Grande Games uh, within Casino also doubled their revenue. So they had monster years this year. Um, and I think we also have to talk about the master of puppets behind everything. And that is Tencent. <laughs> They've had an absolutely monster uh, 2019 year. Um, it's harder to see because you don't see those top line metrics, but they are swallowing the industry whole, <laughs> sucking up all IP from competitors. Um, PUBG Mobile and COD Mobile obviously had uh, pretty good years this year. Um, and one thing with COD Mobile, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but you can actually play COD Mobile for free on PC. Have you guys done this? Nope. So nope. instead of Activision launching Call of Duty for free on PC, um, Tencent's doing it. They're just offering a version which you can play COD Mobile on PC with mouse and keyboard. And it's actually pretty good. Um, also a big launch with Nintendo Switch in China. Um, and they continue to make key strategic investments in a lot of the future-facing studios. Um, so, yeah, they will continue their dominance as the number one publisher globally and continue to hold on to the most number of billion-dollar franchises. So I think Tencent had a pretty good 2019. Coming up after the break, the biggest losers of 2019. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Twig and our 2019 year in review. All right, guys, let's make some enemies. Let's uh, get some complaints and one-star reviews. <laughs> who lost the most in 2019? Who was the, who do you guys think was some of the biggest losers for the year? Adam. Sure. So uh, for us, like, I think if you look back at all the different articles that we covered over last year, there really was five that I'm going to call out. Um, that we continually kind of beat down, <laughs> sadly. Uh, big one is Nintendo Mobile. Um, continued to dramatically underperform relative to the power of their brands. Mar Mario Kart Tour, Dr. Mario, Pokemon Masters, all could have been so much more. And it's just odd that Fire Emblem is the strongest Nintendo IP on mobile. But honestly, that's one of my favorite games. 
Uh, number two is Bioware. Um, I think this was from very like very early in the year, right? Anthem was a huge, uh, another major blow for the studio after Mass Effect Andromeda. So much so that I think there's actually like major questions whether or not we'll see anything from them at the same scale uh, again. Um, number three, Blizzard. Um, we covered this throughout the year. More I'm gone. Mobile versions look like it's going to go the same way as Nintendo. Um, there's been an exodus of talent from their studio. Blitzchung event in the summer. And then a lot of their tentpole franchises are at risk uh, with other major studios eating into them like Riot and their announcement uh, at the 10-year anniversary. Uh, on top of this, like just general trends of auto chess and battle royale has just eaten into their, their franchises like Hearthstone and Overwatch. Um, and while competitors have actually been faster to adopt that new style of play. Um, so I think you know, hats off to Riot, who actually managed to get out teamfight tactics um, first compared to anyone else. Um, and then, of course, to kind of cap all this, Activision has been changing their culture so much, uh, it'll be hard to see how Blizzard will be able to recover from this um, in the future. Number four is Stadia. Uh, I don't think I need to say too much about that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, major step back for streaming. Um, number five, esports bubble, um, just like esports in general. Uh, anything Kotaku article really lifted the lid on this one. Um, actually, if you look at the metrics, it's like from esports perspective, there's lots that they can be throwing into their pitch deck. Um, strong stream, uh, streaming viewership has gone up, competition viewers have gone up, uh, prize pools have all gone up. Um, but 2019 was the year that I think people realized. There's a lot of overhype for esports as a business. And I think just recently, um, ESL is actually going through a major restructure in the last couple of weeks. And then, of course, uh, there was the big MLG shutdown. So I hope 2020 is a year of actual reflection and realism for the esports industry. Those are my probably, five. Probably not. No. No, Thanks, Eric. Just for <laughs> I, I, I still think you know those teams that went for uh, Overwatch, you know, at like twenty to thirty million valuation, are probably worth less than ten now. I just don't people people don't know yet. Maybe I think yeah. Bobby is being very very coy about the whole thing. Um, but once his like billionaire friends realize that they are, they just blew their money, or maybe it doesn't matter, right? They're so rich, like they won't care. You know, forgiveness, right? So we'll yeah. see. So I'm not going to agree with you on Stadia, but not much more to be said that we haven't already said there. Yeah, I'm not going there either. <laughs> From a public sort of free-to-play mobile company perspective, I'd say Blue, just due to the... It's actually a good comparison relative to Zynga. It, I think they really missed an opportunity and actually picked the wrong strategy, like the focus centralization in San Francisco, focus on new internal game development relative to the opportunity they had to scale around live ops and around an M&A strategy, I think was a big difference there. And for private sort of companies, I have to say Voodoo. So they've been losing revenue and market share and they don't quite command the lead they once had in hyper casual. Now, having said that, hopefully for them, this is more of a transition year where, because it does seem that they do realize that hyper casual has hit its peak. And they've certainly raised a lot of capital and word on the street and just like some of the th things we're hearing about Voodoo is that they are putting efforts into other game genres and things like that. So hopefully for Voodoo, 2019 is more of a transition year, but certainly are down. And I think the one other company I'm going to say lost the most in 2019, probably going to be a little bit controversial and 
might get some people upset at me, but I'm going to go ahead and say Epic, right? So Fortnite is definitely falling in popularity. Anecdotally, a lot of the kids that I talk to who used to be in love with Fortnite are slowly transitioning off to other games. So it does not seem to, at least anecdotally, seem to be the very influential cultural phenomenon in kids' lives the way it used to be in 2018. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying Epic is a loser company. They are the opposite, still a major powerhouse. But I do think it's clear they've lost a lot from their heights in 2018. I'm not sure about this, but I also think Fortnite may be underperforming on Android as well. It may be that bypassing Google Play may not have been the right move and may not have delivered quite the distribution they were hoping for. It also may have to do with device performance on Android as well, but that would be my guess. And I also, I think they mis-executed on the Epic Store. Now, they did a great job getting content on the store, but if I'm going to be honest, I think the store itself sucks. And anecdotally, I'm hearing that the Epic Store isn't that popular. So probably not moving the units that Steam is. And they didn't quite deliver the knockout punch to Steam. I think they potentially could have this year. Um, some public data on that, JK. Uh, yeah. I actually just read that. I okay. think Superdata just actually reported that um, for a few games on PC, notably Red Dead Redemption um, and a few others, that that like on PC, Epic Store is definitely underperforming in sales. Um, okay, so wow. there is some public data to back up what you're saying. Right. They didn't say it sucks, but it just says it's low. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I think 2020 in my opinion, will be like a huge year for Epic to see how they can diversify their revenues away from Fortnite as Fortnite continues to slowly decline and to see if they can execute against some of their other initiatives like Epic's door. Eric? Man, I should have prepared some rants. I just didn't, didn't really think about it too much. I guess I'm on vacation, you know, what can I do? Okay. Uh, the underperformers, uh, Glue. So clearly Glue was an absolute train wreck. They are basically down 60% from their high, basically a loss of almost a billion dollars of shareholder value. Um, on the positive side, the stock has kind of recovered from its, its super lows uh, to around $6, but I think they're going to get right back down to where they were because they just released Disney Sorcerer's um, Arena on Canada, and I, I really recommend for you guys all to check it out. Um, the, new, the new beta is basically exactly the same as Star Wars' Galaxy of Heroes, but now they're, they're doing a season pass, which should be interesting. Um, and I've been playing the game a little bit. I, I just don't think it's going to drive that much monetization. And the metrics so far are freaking horrendous. Um, so it's back to where they were before. They pissed off all the customers that they had before. So we will see. I think they're going to be both challenged on downloads as well as on monetization. And I think it's going to be another huge disappointment um, coming from Glue. Uh, when this game releases in, I don't know, probably January or February. So that's, that's one. So Glue is clearly the biggest underperformer of the year. Um, Nintendo. So, by the way, Nintendo had an amazing year. So I'm not really discounting Nintendo from a, the perspective of the Switch. I think the Switch had an awesome year, and it's crushing it in holiday with Pokemon uh, and, and then the new light skew uh, hardware. But man... They are just completely screwing the pooch on mobile. Like they just can't get out of their own way. Um, I just think fundamentally, they 
are not embracing mobile the way they need to. They do not have the, the leadership at, at the top to really make the right decisions. Like the, uh, the notion of creating some kind of subscription model around Mario Kart is so ridiculous that like, I think nine out of 10 people in industry would have told them that's a stupid idea. Um, so whoever they're listening to is clearly not, doesn't understand this market. And in some ways they're doing themselves a disservice despite all their success with Switch, they are basically pissing off their existing customers by creating content and uh, on beloved franchises like Mario Kart, they're just upsetting people, right? And so in some ways, well, this could be a great avenue for them to market their game. Even uh, the Super Mario run was a really good way of marketing Mario to some degree, even though they made no money. Um, they're actually doing the opposite. They're creating experiences that actually upset their core audience to some degree. So. I think they need to rethink it. Maybe it becomes just a marketing vehicle and they do some tchotchke games based on their IP. Um, or they should just get out altogether and, and maybe focus on bringing their content to more consoles or something like that, which I think will be a more, a more valid strategy potentially. Um, and then the other big losers obviously was Call of Duty. So I think Call of Duty was, you know, is truly an amazing game and I'm not gonna discount that. And I actually for once agree with Mishka. Um, but, but it's just a missed opportunity for Activision and Tencent and everyone involved in that project to make some serious money from a, a free-to-play game with, with a really well-established IP. Um, they just are not selling the stuff in the store that moves the needle. And, uh, and maybe it's just, a, just a, a limitation of what they have to offer. I don't know. Um, and then finally, EA. So I was really kind of focused on mobile. Uh, they're they're going to actually have a great year overall. So that's not my concern here. I just think for mobile, they are down maybe 15 to 20, maybe even 30%. Um, according to Sensor Tower, they're down 30% year on year on mobile. They clearly do not have a leadership. They do not have a strategy. As I said, many times the CEO could give a crap about mobile. And it's really starting to become evident um, as we go down this dark tunnel in counter 19 for these guys. Um, can they rebound? Probably not because there's no evidence at all that they're investing. Maybe they buy Fox next, or maybe they try to try to grow through acquisition, which will put a bandaid on their core issue of, you know, just lack of attention on the space holistically. And maybe, you know, they could basically rebound sports next year. I don't know, but nonetheless, they need some work on mobile. So that's EA, but overall I'm actually very positive on EA just that mobile is their big laggard this year. Michigan. All right. Glue. Come on, guys. I mean, this is like a confirmation bias now. Like glue didn't lose an inch when you look at the publishing run rate. So if you look at their revenues, it's pretty much the stable. Design Home, their number one franchise has been stronger than ever and simply dominating its genre. MLB hit it home once again. And sure, Diner Dash Adventures didn't, didn't quite make it. It wasn't such a good game. WWE struggles to get through the stock launch. And Sorcerer's Arena has its own problems. I'm not going to dispute that. Like, compared to the other companies that were mentioned here, Nintendo, of course. I agree 100%. They, they watched Wait a minute. Wait. Games. Hold on. Hold on. Come. Dude, we are in a freaking competitive race, man. We are, like, swimming like Greg Luganis, dude. Not Greg Luganis. Yeah. He's a swimmer. <laughs> I don't even know who swimmers are. Michael anyway. Phelps? <laughs> We're like something like Michael Phelps. You can't be treading water in this market, dude. You can't be sitting there doing doggy paddle and, and just treading. You got to swim, swim, I, swim, I grow, 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 or you die, die, die. And that's exactly what happened to Glue. Me. They are dead, dead, dead. <laughs> it's, and it gets worse. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. Yep.
But but you, you're putting glue at the same line with okay. So EA lost thirty percent of their run rate. They released two games that both hit hit the wall. Command and Conquer and I think it was Sims Mobile didn't do anything. They didn't release anything in a year. They haven't they haven't the the, uh, the sports franchises have done. I think Madden lost like seventy percent of its revenue. Glue is treading water. I'm not saying it's 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 you know it's doing great. It's treading water while the market is moving forward, but it's not horrible, you know and. Anyway, let's move on from Glue. Let's move on from Glue. Nintendo, I agree 100% with what you said. Call of Duty, yes, it's a great game. Yes, it should have and could have done better. But I think they're, I think they're on the path. And everything that we hear through the grapevines uh, says that they're executing the strategy from, from uh, the strategy that they set. Uh, EA, I sadly have to agree. Uh, I feel like their strategy for mobile is kind of wait and see. But in reality... This is Eric, what I'm saying, like, this is where you're absolutely right. They're standing still while the market move ahead, moves ahead. So I think that will really change when their CEO changes. I think it's, it's inevitable at some point. I think Andrew has been in, in, in charge for quite a while and, and um, just, just, you know, time for the next one. And at that time, they'll jump in back on the mobile. And I think they will have to spend a boat, boatload of money to, to get back into the race. And it'll be very expensive, but uh, I think that's something they have to do. Uh, Wudu, I agree 100% with JK. Um, that's an interesting case. In 2018, they got like 30% of all game installs. And 2019, they are not doing, they're doing okay in hyper casual, but not even number one. They're divesting into different genres and not, they're not even acquiring companies. They're just setting up studios around the world and hiring talent and kind of starting from ground zero. And that is not the fastest way to go. That's actually really slow and really risky. So it's, it's a, very weird strategy for Voodoo, uh, but you know, best of luck to them. So if I have to do my own list of who lo- lost the most mobile, uh, I would have to say it's the developers and the publisher who simply fail to understand the market or choose to see it the way it kind of fits them. So, you know, starting first would be companies that made brawler games. There's basically in the market, there's brawl stars and nobody else. Everybody has failed myself included. I have done a brawler game that did really, really poorly and we couldn't even pass the soft launch. It's a really, really difficult area. And that's what happened with Space Ape, who I have to say is, is one, of the, one of the losers of this year because they invested the farm on, on Rumble League. They really had it long in soft launch and they kind of changed the whole strategy around this type of game, around these, these type of experiences and they had to kill it in soft launch after starting even esports events for this game. It's super difficult. I know I've, I've actually had have led two separate studios that, that were making brawler games and neither of them could, could pass, yeah, could pass into global launch. Anyways, the second part would be, the second type of companies that failed would be the, the, the companies that are focusing on first person shooter games. Since launch of Call of Duty, it's kind of hard to see where games like Guns of Boom or Critical Force or Pixel Gun or this game called Forces of Freedom. So if you don't know this game, it's, you're missing out. It has been downloaded for 24 million, for 24 million times. And it has made no money. And um, I don't think it's ever going to launch because kind of Call of Duty has taken the market. And it, unless you have, unless you come out with Apex or Battlefield or Halo or something like that into the, free, uh, into the first person shooter market, you're just not going to make it. And the companies that are already there, like the makers of Guns of Boom or Critical Force or Pixel Guns, they're just going to lose market share because literally everybody who wants to play first person shooter has downloaded Call of Duty. And there's, I don't think there's any point in playing anything inferior to that. Card battlers. Uh, we talked before on this podcast about Gwent. We talked about Elder Elder Scroll Legends. I think that was the game. Uh, neither of those games have really made a dent into the card battler market. I think Elder Legends 
got like 10 million installs and 5 million in no, 5 million installs and 10 million in revenue in like two and a half years. And um, yeah, finally, Tactical Battlers. There's a ton of companies that are making, still trying to make a game like Clash Royale, uh, despite what, four years of, of, of different companies failing to, to fast follow that game just because it's so damn good and, and so unique. And there's just no point in playing anything, whether it has a Command and Conquer IP on it or, or something else. And, and you know, since we're talking about Warner Brothers in this podcast, I would have to say that making a location-based game uh, with Harry Potter wasn't too successful of a venture. Like Walking Dead from Next Games, like Harry Potter from, from Warner Brothers, and like Minecraft from, from um, what's it's Microsoft, but what's the uh, Mahjong or something like that. So those Mine- would be the biggest. Minecraft Earth, you mean? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so, so I kind of I kind of categorized around around these different themes where where just companies entered. They just they just made a shot where there was no no chance of success. It's it's already dominated. It's like making a MOBA when there's League of Legends. It's like making an MMO when there's World of Warcraft. You just can't get those players out of there after they've been playing for years. So, so the, what, what would you recommend here? Like for the most part, you're, you're talking about like a lot of the, the biggest genres on mobile yeah. Um, yeah. and a lot of them are big because they have an incumbent leader, yeah. um, which then you say to a, a development studio, what is, what genre do you focus on? Yeah. So, so it's, um, that's a, that's a good question. So, so a good example would be fighting games. So before that, I mean, there's Warner Brothers and Justice and Mortal Kombat and WWE something and they didn't do anything compared to compared to what was going on with Contest of Champions. And the only game that was able to enter that market and actually double the size of the fighting game market was Dragon Ball Z because they addressed a different audience. They added a new spin and that was totally different. So if you can address a different odd audience with your IP, that makes sense. If you're doing a little spin toward, uh, to, to, you know, um, Clash Royale and there's and you're adding your own game that has a little spin but it's basically the same game towards the same audience that's not gonna not gonna work but if you're doing a game with a different IP that that addresses a different audience that's gonna work and the other part is just to focus on something where there's less competition a good example is I mean bad example is Nordius they've been making spell souls or iteration of that game I think they're already on a third version it's basically like a Clash Royale but just with a gameplay twist, uh, better graphics, but you know, kind of worse gameplay. And they're still aiming to get into the same category over and over and over again. So I think focusing on something else, making an auto chess, making some, uh, something that is totally different makes more sense. Yeah, but like auto chess, I think has the exact same problems that you're mentioning here. Like no one's, no one's gonna take over the auto chess crown away from Riot, away from the creator. Tencent or from Blizzard. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in all the chess, we've seen we've seen companies enter, kind of trying to enter really early on and take that market space, but there's still no no winners in there. All right, so that takes us to the last question of this podcast, which is. In your opinion, what was the most impactful news or the biggest trend of 2019? Starting with you, Adam. Yeah, you can't give me only one point here, right? (laughs) (laughs) Looking back at all of our twigs, because I definitely re-listened to all of them. No, I didn't. Uh, But just looking back at all the articles that we covered, I think there was kind of four key themes from all of them. And that's the rise of subscriptions, uh, battle pass, um, the Battle of the Platforms, um, Stadia, Apple Arcade, et cetera, 
consolidation in a mature market uh, with different strategies. And lastly, premium games as a service uh, continues to be in flux. So for number one, in terms of the rise of battle passes and subscriptions, um, definitely I would say the number one discussion topic for PMs this year. And I think its adoption is going to be at the same level that Gotcha was back in the day. You know, like the, the guys that opened the casket would be like Clash Royale, Clash of Clans, PUBG Mobile. Now pretty much everyone is trying to make this work. And I think like the, there was the article on Deconstructor Fun. Um, it definitely called into question how industry shifting this could be. Like, is this really the opening of a brand new type of game? Can games be built that uh, would not be successful before, but because of subscriptions, um, they can actually become successful? And for, for me, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, I still see this as more of a value add than something industry shifting. Um, just because I think as we covered many times in this podcast, people keep generalizing back to movies and music to the idea that, that the same thing that happened to movies with Netflix is going to happen in games, which is just not going to happen. And I would definitely recommend anyone implementing battle passes. Don't do what more, uh, what Mario Kart tour does, uh, locking modes behind a sub do it Fortnite and world of tanks, which is actually, I would call the OG subscription and clash Royale does, which is actually offering a high value subscription uh, which the developer use is actually making a trade-off between revenue and retention. You're really giving players the most value for active play, aligning the goals of the developer, keeping your players as engaged in spending as for as long as possible, and a player wanting to feel like they're actually, uh, each purchase they make is as high value as possible, and the game values their time. Number two, battle platforms. We cover this a lot with a ton of different platforms. So you've got Stadia, Apple Arcade, Google Play Pass, if you remember that one, uh, Epic Store, um, Steam, trying to pull play or pull games back to it, including uh, Fallen Order, uh, Microsoft Game Pass, and then of course 2020 is gonna be all about Xbox X versus PS5. And I think um, 2019 was definitely uh, all about the importance of tentpole titles and exclusives, that tech, price point, business models, all don't really matter if the content within these platforms don't matter. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. <laughs> uh, so I think the next generation really is going to be defined by the hits. And Sony right now has a significant advantage uh, because, you know, even if Xbox launches with xCloud and has Game Pass, no one will care unless it can compete against Spider-Man, Last of Us, and God of War. Number three, consolidation in a mature market. Major acquisitions this year, so that would be Seriously and Insomniac, um, as well as some proven acquisitions um, kind of showing from previous years. So that would be King, Small Giant, and Graham. And then, of course, some on the horizon as JK continues to, to give us rumors. Fox Next should be soon. When is it coming, JK? Uh, it, was, Jesus. it was supposed to already have been announced. So I don't know what's going on. Come on, JK. <laughs> I think JK is just full of shit. That's what I think. This is going to be like the, the... But the rumor is it's an international company with an office in SF. That's the that's rumor. So. <sighs> okay. You're just, you're just holding this on. This is going to be like the thing, the, 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 the story, that, the thread that carries over throughout the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, as we reported here multiple times, the market for pure revenue M&A is actually drying up, if not gone. And I think 2020 will be a frothy year for shoppers in M&A. Uh, who are looking for successful independent studios. Uh, likely that we see some questionable acquisitions in 2020 because the well is just getting dry. 
Uh, and lastly, um, something that hits closer to my home, premium games as a service continues to be in flux. Uh, and we covered quite a bit of this in terms of Anthem's launch, Fallout 76's ridiculous subscription, Division 2 actually being called a commercial failure, Ghost Recon getting major backlash, and Destiny 2 breaking up with Activision. Um, all these services where, you know, a few years ago, everybody would be chasing these ideas have actually failed to gain traction. And despite the budgets and despite the talent on these teams and these studios just aren't getting the balance between live service, content cadence, engagement systems, design and monetization. Correct. Yes. Yeah, you should put red dead on that map too, right? Red dead Two in terms of online. Yeah. I mean, there's, it was a disaster of epic yeah. portions. Well, if you compare red dead online to GTA and what they're actually offering, like, like after actually offering for engagement, Red Dead ends up just being a sandbox versus GTA actually having compelling compelling things to chase after. You can yeah, see right. with the recent heist that they just launched, right? Uh, there, as well as all the crazy vehicles you can collect. There's just so much more to do in GTA Online that's worth your time. Um, yep, of course, all of these studios are going to be continuing to pour money into chasing service-driven titles. They're going to be assuming they're going to be able to graft on the same metrics from games like Rainbow Six Siege and FIFA, Yet these models just don't work in other genres. Now, wait, hold up. This is your freaking job, dude. What are you talking yeah. about? Like your whole job is to make this shit happen. Now you're saying it's impossible? No. Wait, are you, trying to, are, you, are you looking for a raise or something? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm reading your note. I, wait a minute. They're going to pour money into these service-driven titles, assuming the same trajectory of League of Legends. Dude. They're pouring money. You're the place they're pouring money into, dude. You want target setting. Either you're, either you're trying to get your, your uh, rates up higher or you're trying to get your job removed, dude. What's wrong with you? No, come on. We've talked about this multiple times throughout this year, uh, especially when Ghost Recon came out, right? You can't take the same models that apply to other games and graft it onto another one and assume that you're going to hit the same metrics, assume that you're going to hit the same success, and assume you're not going to get the same type of backlash. Oh, I see. So this is basically, this is securing your position in the industry as yes, the foremost thanks. expert in <laughs> appropriately applying monetization models to any type of game because you have that expertise. I see. This is very self-serving. I, I, I acknowledge it and I respect it. So... Carry on. Thanks, Eric. All right. <laughs> I'm going to pass off to JK before Eric shoots me in the foot again. All right. Well, Adam, definitely agree with you in terms of Battle Pass. If we look at the feature that had the highest kind of mind share in 2019 amongst PMs, it definitely Battle Pass. And I think the interesting thing that, as Mishka pointed out before, is the tale of two cities. Look at Clash of Clans, look at Clash Royale, look at the impact, because when you think about the monetization model in Clash of Clans versus Clash Royale, they're very different. And the warning would be Battle Pass in a gotcha-based game could be very dangerous. So, <laughs> Glue, pay attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the, the second trend that we saw was just the loss of mid-tier studios to M&A. This was a continuing trend, but the implication of this, I think, is could potentially be pretty dramatic for the industry in the sense that it's been a while since there's been investment in early stage free-to-play mobile game studios, which from my perspective leaves an opportunity, right? So if we think about supply versus demand for mid-tier, when I say mid-tier, I'm talking about companies that have achieved some scale in terms of their games. I believe that they will continue to command a premium and that premium will increase as the investors in the space, the VCs are continuing to invest in these kind of concepts. 
sandbox creator platforms, cross-platform nonsense, games as social networks, whatever that means, right? And so I believe we have this whole in terms of mid-tier studios. And again, I, you can view that as a challenge or as an opportunity. And the so wait, 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 wait. So now JK is self-serving. <laughs> I'm a casualty right now of this trend. But anyway, finally, I think the, the other big trend or big issue for 2019 was the relevance of UA to game success, right? And so payback windows are getting longer and longer. Uh, some hardcore RPG games due to the rise of sort of the new bidding approaches by Facebook and Google like the cost to acquire users are getting higher and higher. And so as a PM, the relevance of working with user acquisition teams, understanding the impact of UA on product success was more critical than ever in 2019. And I think this trend continues. And I also think it's no accident that games like Archero succeeded on the back of very successful advertising campaigns. So for me, those were the three things. Mishka? All right, so um, I'll mark uh, a big macro trend that has been happening since like 2016, and that is the decrease of new games being launched into the App Store. So it seems like we're almost at peak of the amount of games that the App Store can hold. Uh, and especially when we look at the games that were launched inside a year and, the, and that were able to reach top 100 inside that one year. I think there's three games that were able to do that. So, so that's, you know, that's... Uh, yeah, it just talks about the saturation of the market and the stability of the existing games. The second part is domination of the Asian games in the grossing charts. If you pull the data of about like thousand top grossing games, um, you'll be, you know, you'll be finding the best Western games at the bottom of it. So uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a little bit crazy how much these Chinese games are making. And it's a little bit crazy also that there's no Western games that are succeeding you know, apart from like Brawl Stars in Korea and so forth, but but there's only few few of those. Homescape, I think, is the another one. Our Chero part, uh, the uh, the hybrid monetization, which which that game kind of brought forward, is really interesting. Where the uh, the revenue is coming both from in-app purchases and ad monetization, but the way they were able to market that game, add a little bit of depth, and kind of evolve the hi the hyper casual trend. And finally, what was most impactful you know, in my own perspective is, is the definitely the subscriptions that we've been talking about and the article that you can find on Deconstructor of Fun, as well as on Lloyd Melnick, who, who wrote that article on his site. And basically what he does is he's kind of portrays, like Adam was saying, this, this sort of a, like the, during the last two decades, we've seen like two major disruptions in the game business model. First, the try before you buy, then, then a decade later in 2010, the, the free to play with Zynga and so forth. And then, and I think what he does nicely is he breaks down to six key points that are really important in subscriptions. And number one, it needs to be all about the access. So you're, you're getting into something more premium, something more interesting. Uh, it has to be simple. Um, Adam mentioned um, Wargaming. I mean, they, they do the most simplistic VIP model. Uh, it needs to be honest. Eh, well, that's that's clear because you're subscribing to something and you're paying for it month on month. Uh, it needs to be tied to engagement, which what Wargaming does, which Battle Pass does. And the more you play, the better the better rewards you will get. You will get through the subscription. That that builds a loop. You need to have evolving benefits. So every 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 season is different, and that's what we're seeing in like current Clash of Clans season, where it's outperforming the previous ones because uh, it just it just it has better content, 
And finally, it needs to celebrate the VIPs. So if you haven't read the Lloyd Melnick's uh, article on Deconstructor Fun, uh, I really suggest you do that. <laughs> it's funny thing is when you're a studio and you talk about subscription, the first thing people look at you like, oh my God, this fucking guy comes here talking about subscription. But it's not subscription versus free to play. It's subscription plus in-app purchases, plus microtransactions. So uh, at the end of, of this kind of discussion around subscription, everybody is a believer. So that kind of points out that this is a future and I believe in it. Okay, so we're three for three for self-serving. <laughs> Seriously, let's, yeah. I, yeah. All right. All right, Eric, so, take I, it home. No, no, no. What, what, I, where, what money do you want? No, I, I, no I'm uh, having an independent analyst that covers the video game space is super valuable to your business. <laughs> <laughs> that is objective and true yeah. to his uh, conviction. Anyway, so first of all, I want to ask, Another question about glue. So, what do you think about having a battle pass associated with a game like Disney? That's not uh, going to save it. Are you, are you asking whether that's all of a sudden going to change all the metrics? That yeah, no. I think that depending on how they implement it. I mean, I haven't looked at it. I'll probably try and check it out. But the danger is if it allows people to max units more quickly without having to pay for the gotcha boxes, then that may have a negative impact on their revenue, right? Yeah, sorry about the sources, Arena. Like the, the number one thing that you shouldn't focus on when making a like an RPG team RPG game is focus on the core gameplay. There's already per blue game that didn't do phenomenally well with the Disney IP. Looney Tunes didn't do too well. They actually are generating the same amount of revenue, those two games. And now this, uh, Glue has come up with the same IP that is clearly not, you know, preferred by, by players because they want those hardcore guys that they collect in raid and so forth. And secondly, they've innovated on the core gameplay. It's kind of like a clash reality versus, versus the current trend where everything is an autoplay. And in fact, no, 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 no. So they, they changed that. That's the whole thing is they basically, oh, they, did? they changed the entire gameplay to make it almost identical to uh, galaxy of heroes and, uh, and raid and all the rest of them. Well, so. then it's, then, then it's the same game as the existing Disney. Per blue. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's yeah, yeah. the? I mean, I have to admit, it's actually not a bad game. Like I, I started to play it. I just, again, I think the overlap of of users that are interested in spending money on that thing. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm, my, that was my opinion. I just wanted to hear someone else say it. Is that the battle pass is actually a bad thing, right? Because you're basically potentially wow. pushing people through the content by offering a battle pass, and then you're then you're limiting spend, right? Because they're not going to be spending on gotchas. I mean, I don't think we can definitively say that, but I, I, I think Dude, we can say that I, there's a huge risk of that. Right. I haven't seen it personally. So I live in the absolute world. God damn it. <laughs> and I'm telling you, these guys make mistake after mistake after mistake because they're chasing goddamn rainbows, you know? And it's like the same thing is going after this subscription model, like with the, uh, with the Mario Kart. It was ridiculous. It was an obscene, absurd. And it was only like the soup du jour of the day. It's like, but the, and they're and and the glue is like falling down to the same trap, right? And they're and they're making these modifications like in real time, right? And so they're pissing off their existing customers that, that in the space now it's small, right? What they have, so we will see. But I think the monetization is not going to change, and it might even get worse. So, you know, and when and when we talk about back to glue, it's like, dude, people expect this game to do like 120 million, right? This game, if it does 20 million, I'll be in shock, okay? And so, like, this is the type of scale of fail that they are, are, are sitting on right now. So, anyway, all right, my big trends. Now, I honestly didn't spend a lot of time thinking about this, and I apologize because, you know, I'm on fucking vacation, you know? So, give me a break. Um, so, 
I think the big trends this year or last year and the, in the prior few years is that downloads are basically flatlining, right? And so what I think this means in general is that even though with this hyper casual and these huge games like Call of Duty, et cetera, like you're not seeing as much downloads, you're not seeing as much interest. You know, the store, the Apple store is completely fucking broken, right? In terms of discovery, because they still don't know what the hell they're doing on that. And so you're just not getting as much interest. And I think everyone's kind of like reverting to the mean of what they're interested in and what they want to play. And they're staying with these games so long that they're not really interested in discovering new things anyway. And then Apple makes it even worse because there is no discoverability anymore. So, um, so it's, it's kind of like this, this conflagration of issues, right? So it's a customer problem as well as a store problem. Google's a little bit better, but not much. Okay. I think we talked about this in a prior podcast. And I think uh, this was Mishka's uh, big... I think I think it is your big reveal is that concentration of top on a revenue basis is still huge and a problem, right? You know, like big publishers and big games are contributing to the top, but I think there's a growing middle level that's sustainable and 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 for companies to survive that that's better than it has been in the past. Like it's not like these absolutely massive games just completely dominating the revenue charts. There is a there's a, is a mid tier, you know, the top fifty to one hundred that 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 people can survive and live in, right? And the third thing I was just talking to someone this morning about this is that what was the Fortnite impact? So there's a lot of people out there, particularly on the, in, the, uh, in the investment space, that basically said Fortnite was going to really destroy uh, the console business because it replaces games that, that people are paying for with free-to-play games. And there is a certain idea that that could happen. I, I do have that concern to some degree. But the actual impact of Fortnite was relatively positive is what I'm seeing um, from perspective of how much hardware sold last year, how much revenue we're seeing fueling. As Fortnite falls, it looks like people are coming back into NBA 2K, FIFA, Call of Duty, et cetera. So we're seeing movement that way. So I think it's brought more people into the market and I have data points to suggest that's the case. And that's actually really good for the industry. Now, the longer term thing, and maybe we'll do a prediction type thing, is that as these VCs like Andreessen and London Ventures and all these other guys are pouring money into these new studios that are developing free-to-play experiences and all these budwords and stuff, will that create some kind of you know, vortex of gameplay that people will stop spending money on other things? I personally do not think that will be the case, but we will test this out as, as these games start to come to market and we'll, and we'll see how they do. But I think we'll start seeing more and more free-to-play experiences on console and PC that can kind of go straight towards, you know, the existing entrenched competitors. And I think that'll be, that'll be kind of interesting. But my bet is that as we see the console, console industry has kind of evolved into such a way that there's like Madden players, there's FIFA players, there's Call of Duty players, et cetera, and that they are still pretty loyal to their fan base. And what I hope is that these free-to-play experiences like Fortnite will actually bring more of the younger demographic and older demographic and maybe women, even girls, uh, to the market to actually improve um, overall performance on, on all the franchises in the space. So that's kind of what I see right now. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Anything else? All right, guys, that was the last question. So unless there are any closing comments, I think that is a wrap for Twig 63. Anything else? Nope. All right. Have a happy new year. Last podcast for the year. And yeah, a happy new year, everybody. And we'll see you next year. Bye. Bye.